Claire Edwards and you're listening to Authentic Leadership, a series of conversations, insights and inspirations with leaders who are real, raw and authentic. Today I bring you a really practical and upbeat conversation with Nikki Beaumont, CEO of recruitment specialist Beaumont People. Our topic of conversation is leading people before profit and how a placing people first culture creates both the business and people's success. Enjoy! Nikki and I are connected through one of my previous podcast guests, Yvonne Kelly, and we finally got to meet face-to-face at a recent conference, and oh, how good it was to be back face-to-face. And at that conference, Nikki shared that her company, Beaumont People, which is a a multi-award winning recruitment company, chose a four-day work week back in 2020, well before any lockdown. And that got me curious about her company, their culture, and Nikki's leadership style. So when I approached Nikki to be in conversation for the podcast, I sort of said, you know, I'm really interested in an area of leadership that you're super passionate about. She just instantly said, yep, I know what it is. It's leading people before profit. And that is the topic of our conversation today. So Nikki, a very, very warm welcome to Authentic Leadership. Thank you. It's great to be here. It's good to have you here. Now on this grey and drizzly and rainy day, um, before we actually delve into our topic, when I looked at your LinkedIn profile, I didn't have a clue where in this country you were based. Um, So can you share with us a little bit about where in Australia you are and um, where you're based, who with? I believe that there are a number of non-human beings as well as humans. I'd I'd just like to find out more. (laughs) You make it sound very intriguing, Claire, actually. Um, It does. Thank you, yes. I um we we live in Nuribar or actually about three three or four kilometers just out of Nuribar. Um Nuribar is in the Northern Rivers. Um uh, for people that uh, know Byron Bay, we're pretty much between Byron Bay, Ballina and, and Bangalore and the hinterland. Um they're just back from the coast. So um smashing spot, um very well known for a beautiful restaurant. Um, called Harvest, so people do know it for that. Um, and to answer your second question, and uh, yeah, who do I live with? Well, there you go. Yes, um, <laughs> I know it's a bit personal early on. <laughs> That's okay. I'm, I'm a pretty open kind of person, so I, I live with. Uh, well, to start with, my wonderful human partner Drew and uh, our wonderful daughter Maddie, who's currently 14. Um, so uh, that's our family here. Um, but we do live on acreage. So we've got 120 acres here in the beautiful Northern Rivers. And uh, and at, at last count, we have approximately 94 animals. <laughs> so, yes, yes, that was 94 animals, of which that largely comprises, if we start from the, the most, is um, cattle. We, we're beef cattle. Um, property. We have many, many chickens and roosters. We have three alpacas, um, three horses, of which two are miniature horses, two donkeys, two cats, and oh. a dog. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I, I'm, I'm just thinking, I mean, you are, you, you are the CEO of an extremely busy company. Don't, don't tell me that you do the farming as well. 
I, I don't. I actually like to. And when I get the chance to be out there doing what I can, I love to. And winter is a favourite time for me, Claire, because um, in winter we have log fires. And we need to go out on the weekend and get the chainsaws out and chop, <sighs> chop up, you know, falling down trees to help clear the land. And it's one of my favourite things. And, and for our... Um, wedding anniversary we're not married but we do celebrate an anniversary yeah just last year I I got a chainsaw um as my gift which um really made me happy um but I don't generally work on on the farm um as often as I would love to I do feed all the animals every morning um if I can (laughs) but uh, but no um one day when I'm retired I'll be able to spend um more time on the farm yes how how wonderful and it sounds like it sounds like you really are an early adopter because you know you got in with the tree change before everybody else and you got in with the four-day work week before everyone else but we'll we'll come back to that in a little bit because I want to I'd like to sort of go back a little bit into I know that your that your background has has been in recruitment and you know for you were with um one of the largest recruitment companies in the world before you started Beaumont people so what I'm thinking about is when you decided to create your your organization from your experience with can we name them or should we just say the large recruitment company Look, I think it's fair to, to remember. I have a lot of respect for them. I, I work for Adeco and Manpower, although Alfred Marx, as it was back in the back in the day before Alfred Marx became Adeco, that's a name that some people would go, oh, my gosh, Alfred Marx. I've just no. done that. I'd forgotten about <laughs> Alfred Marx. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. So with, with all that experience and you, you, you're creating your own your own organisation, what were some of the what were some of the conscious decisions you made? What did you say okay this is an absolute must I, I, I you know I'm 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 taking I'm definitely taking that with me or this is yeah this didn't this didn't work so well for me what how, you know how did you what did you decide to do differently and why uh look it's a great question and um and I think that was actually one of my key reasons for wanting to start my own recruitment business was I actually wanted to do some things differently and look all respect to the companies that I worked for back in the day we're talking about you know like the the 90s the 80s and 90s even so it was a long time ago and things have changed a lot and I certainly learned a lot and I would not be you know who I am or where I am today if it wasn't for that experience that I had you know with both organizations I loved working for them both at the time but there were certain things that I you know did frustrate me um, and um, I wanted to do differently. And I vowed that I would do these things differently when eventually I had my own recruitment business, which, just to give you some context, I always knew I would have my own business. Um, I am a born entrepreneur, and I have been since a small child. And over a glass of wine, you know, I can share with you the kind of stories that my parents love to share of me as a child entrepreneur and some of the things I got up to. Um, But, you know, we probably don't have time for that. But I was always going to start my own recruitment business at some point, regardless of how much I loved or or didn't love some of the things that happened in those bigger organisations. But the things that I did choose to do differently and in hindsight you know they're big organizations and I I still now go how do you how do you run and manage some of those big organizations it's enough of a job running mine and mine's quite small in the grand scheme of things but but I think the things that I was very conscious of were 
people-centered decisions and, and maybe you know in my role with them at that time you know it was well what actually affects me and what affected me in my role as a leader and my team they were the things I wanted to do differently because they're the things that affected me at that time so mm-hmm. I mean there were things like um you know placing people first there were things around um you know don't keep changing the goalposts on people um you know I, I felt that for myself and my team quite a lot you know yeah. um things would happen at a corporate level um and and there was obviously great reasons that you know the goalposts were changed um but they changed for me when maybe they weren't impacting us at that level you know for mm-hmm. example when we went through tough times absolute you know salaries were frozen across the board i remember that one particular time um and I understand the need to do that as an organization, but with no flexibility whatsoever when mm. I'd only recently had to take somebody on in my team and not been able to give her anywhere near the salary that she should have been on and deserved. And when it came to her first review, my hands were tied, yeah. you know, and to, to a place where I actually, if I hadn't have been probably a fairly good leader myself at that time to hang on to that person and, and find other ways to keep her within my team I would have lost her yeah Um, it was just that lack of absolute flexibility when it comes to people and and only seeing things through one big corporate lens Mm. I was frustrated with um I think other things that I, I I can see now and I and I saw looking back was you know we weren't really given often the tools that we really needed to be the best that we could be and the support that we needed. You know, there were big beasts, some of those big companies at yeah. that time as well. And as a new manager, I, I, you know, I kind of fell into that role. Was I fully equipped? No, actually, mm-hmm. I probably wasn't. What support did I get? Maybe the original manager that I was working at with, you know, throughout both of those experiences didn't have the time to give yeah. me. Yeah. And, you know, could I have been a better leader if I'd had the right support? Yes, I could. Probably a lot earlier in my time. There's an awful lot of things I could have learned. Um, and other things, and this is a very recruitment-related thing, but, um, you know, my team, my team at the time, were doing so well and I'm so proud of them and they were really performing well. For, and I was based in Aylesbury. Anyone mm-hmm. who knows the UK, not a very big place, Aylesbury. You know, we're not talking <laughs> the centre of London. Uh, but we were doing well and, uh, you know, one of the most profitable branches around. Um, we really were. But things like caps were put on people's earning potential. Mm. And I was like, why Why would you do that? <laughs> why would you do that to people? You know, they're doing so well. What are, you, what are you trying to say? Okay, you've been successful up to that point. Don't be any more successful because we're not going to pay you for it if you are. Yeah. You know, yeah. so there were things like that that I took from that experience at that time. And went okay, and these are things that I want to take with me. And um, and I made, made a decision at the very beginning of starting Beaumont, which was in two thousand and one, to you know have a um, a, a bonus policy, a, a commission policy that I would never change to the detriment of the people. Mm-hmm. So I would only ever change it to make it better. Yeah, for people, and and so far, I've managed to have got there twenty one years in. And I think <laughs> I've done that so far, and I still hang on to that and go. I made that decision, I made that commitment, and uh, I'm still doing it. And and I actually have changed our policies quite along that quite a lot, but actually for for the benefit of people to make it better for them. Um, I do believe. Yeah, yeah. Does that answer your question? Oh yes, beautifully. And and I'm thinking so. 
something like something like the bonus policy to I mean it's great to put a stake in the sand for that and at the same time you know you've been going since 2001 there have been some rocky times since then so how how have you weathered the storm with with some of those putting people first policies or has it really actually stood you in good stead rather than bitten you on the bum? <laughs> um, look, you know, I won't lie. It has been challenging at times. Yeah, absolutely has been challenging. And, um, you know, I mean, the GFC was a particularly challenging mm. time and I had to make some very conscious decisions or we did as a management team at the time, made some very conscious decisions then. Um, and that was actually the early days of us going, you know, that, when times are tough, and particularly GFC and recruitment, I remember people were making, were changing bonus or taking bonus away from people or reducing bonus that people have paid and totally understand why you would want to make that decision. But with my placing people first hat on, yeah, I went, hang on, if we make it harder for people to earn money, what, what would that make me do as a person? So how about if I make it almost better or easier for people mm-hmm. to earn money and put some things into place to make it better for people, would that actually give them the, you know, the, the, the motivation that they need to go, oh, actually, you know, I can do this. I can actually still earn some good bonus yeah. or earn some good money and, and you know take home a, a good the good standard of living that I'm used to so so I, I was kind of looking at it from that lens mm. and I and I you know, absolutely believe that helped us retain people and, and we did the same with COVID to be fair you know and and COVID was in some ways a lot worse than the GFC because because COVID was so new yeah. and you know really took everybody by surprise and obviously with lockdown and not being able to go into the office and all of those things you know for, for many companies um so you know yeah it it has been challenging but I do believe you know if you actually put that placing people first hat back on and you do consider your people and you've had a culture of that for a long time you know I, I could actually be brought to tears very easily by talking about how how my team got behind me yeah. through COVID and went, oh, my God, how can we support you in the business? You know, what do we need to do? Do you need to reduce our salaries? You know, hold on to our bonus. What can we do? We'll work for nothing if we need to, Nikki. It was wow. many conversations that I had until we can get through this. You know, I mean, incredible. So... You know, I think us having that as a philosophy and and having those kind of relationships with the team, you know, when it came to the really tough times like that, stood us in good stead. And and I think just reminded myself and my leadership team, okay, we we are doing the right things. These these are the right things to do. And, um, you know, placing profit over people, which is easy to do and and the norm for many organisations. And I totally understand that, why that is too. I think... um, it, it certainly put us in good stead. It really did. And anyway, we're still here and, and, and doing well and doing better. So it works. Wow. Oh, I've got so many questions coming in my head from from, from what you've just said. Um, let me just uh, put that, write that profit one down. Um, something, when you were speaking, something that, that came to me was you have an external philosophy in recruitment, basically your branding and your tagline of placing people first. Yeah. And then you've got your internal philosophy of of putting people first. Um, was that 
was that a, a, you know that conscious alignment externally and internally did you just come up with a really good um tagline and uh, how has that come about because and the reason I asked that question is that it, it's it's it, I think the more transparent organizations are or the more we see into organizations you can see the ones where the external philosophy is not aligned with the internal philosophy and it's really impacting their culture and I think that's the, that's the angle that that I'm coming from so I'm just curious about yeah just that that alignment and how how you make that happen yeah and look it's a great question because you know, if I go back to the early days of the business, and we've evolved, and, you know, certainly we've hmm. evolved for the better over the years and learned a lot, as you do, you know, continue to learn, still learning every day, um, you know, still adjusting and learning to try and build the, the best business that, that we can. But in those early days, we didn't have that as a, um, a philosophy or a tagline necessarily. It was how I thought about stuff mm-hmm. in the early days, but it was actually never articulated. And, um, you know, those people who know me, I am not a wordsmith. I am not a words <laughs> person at all. You have a conversation with me, great. You know, I'll chit chat with you all day, but I'm not a words kind of, I'm very good at articulating something. If you ask me to write a letter or an email or something, I'm like, Ooh, that, that's, <laughs> I struggle with that. That's not my strength. I'm a numbers girl. Um, I'm good with numbers and I'm good with hugs. Um, But so we didn't articulate. The point is we didn't actually articulate the people before profit until well into our journey. You know, it was probably, I don't know, maybe eight, nine years ago, something like that. And we were actually working with somebody on our brand and our marketing. Um, And it actually came through then. And, And once I'd started to think about, you know, it was about, well, who are you? What do you do? Why do you do stuff? You know, what mm. makes you happy? What is it about you and business? You know, why are you creating this? So it was through all those conversations that it actually came to light those three words, you know, placing people first, really. It, it was people before profit initially, but we changed it to placing people first mm-hmm. um, because because having the profit in that made it be more about the profit it, it kind of put too I much, hear you yeah there's too, there's too much on the profit word so placing people first and then and then as the more we thought about it and talked about how we liked it it was like well that absolutely applies for us as an organization internally and externally mm. and it's got to start internally surely yeah, yeah. we were already doing that because that was the conversation we were already doing it internally but of course it's our outward facing philosophy as well of course mm. And it always has been too, really. So yeah. it's actually interesting how it how it actually came about. You know, it wasn't it wasn't we sat hard and tried to work out something that sounded funky and groovy and you know, <laughs> you know would, would attract people to us. It, it was really just finding a way to articulate who we already were and what we were about and what we were doing. Yes. And as I say, I'm not a words person, so I I, I struggle with those things. Wow. Yeah, I'm so glad we, we've already gone off the, the beaten track of any questions that I put to you in advance. But I'm so I'm so glad that we are, because something else that you just said has got me thinking as well. You said, I'm a numbers person and I'm a hugs person. <laughs> and the, this sort of, it, it took me back to, and 
if I can share a little little story from my management career, as w- when we were doing, you know, um, Myers Briggs type indicators, so we were doing sort of, you know, personality profiling, and I was in a team of ten, and nine, all of my other peers were ex- had an extreme preference for numbers, logic, rationale. And they, they used to call me Mother Teresa because I was at the other end of the continuum. Um, and I remember the facilitator saying, you know, you, you absolutely need that balance. And I love what you said about, you know, you can coin that numbers and hugs and how you balance that because because the business has to survive, the business has to thrive. And in order to thrive, it needs to make money. And you've got to love your people. And, and I'm just, I'd love to just un- unpack that a little bit more about, is that, you know, how has that been for you? Is it really easy? Is it challenging? Um, is it personality based? I'm just, just talk to me. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Well, you know, I, I, I suppose one of the things is whenever I've had psych testing done with me is they, they go, I, um, I do actually have a bit of everything in my personality you know yeah. in my strengths you know I'm, I'm a fairly even I've got good this good that good, that and the other and I, and I say that I'm not a a words person but many people will go actually you're you're not too bad at all okay you're beating yourself up there but um but you know and I I think about myself now and who I am I am well known in the organization for being a numbers person I am a logical thinker I'm an ideas person I'm in I'm the innovator I'm the inspiration person I'm the person who annoys the crap out of my executive team because they've got one too many ideas on a daily basis <laughs> I will let you know you know they love them but they hate them because they're the ones who've got to implement them um so um you know yes I am that person and I do I do use I do use the numbers to help me make my decisions to help me make my people-centered decisions I do use the numbers too so I do need to have a balance of both Um, and I love the numbers I could spend all day happily in a spreadsheet it's one of my favorite things to do you know I get really excited when it's budget time um and um, I'm so glad we're all so different (laughs) you know I do I love it but but I absolutely am a people person and I love people and I I'm actually not probably the best recruiter out there because like that could be because I actually think everybody's wonderful and I think everybody deserves an opportunity and everybody deserves a fantastic role and, and meaningful work has become our more recent um uh, you know, mission in terms of what we're trying to do in the world of work and the world of recruitment, because I see the best in everybody and I see the good in everybody and I really want everybody to succeed. And I do find that, you know, um, uh, even when, you know, when people are actually not performing that well and they don't really want to perform that well, you know, they've they've lost their mojo on something. Yeah. I'm trying to support them to get them there when there's sometimes people are like, actually, no, it's time for me to go. And I need to do something else now because I've, I don't know if this is really for me, you know. And I'm I'm still trying to give them a leg up and help them because I just really love people and believe in everybody. And I see, I see the real people in all of the people that work for me. Mm. Um, and I'm an absolute hugger. That is so true, you know. And I'm trying really, really hard with COVID, hasn't it? Really. Oh yes. Um, you know. And I I I did that yesterday. I went into the Byron office here and. And I laugh because as soon as I walk in, the team all, you know, jump up. Oh, hi, you know, they see me every week and they all still come up and give me a big hug. 
every week and it's so lovely I yeah. mean how lovely is that but um, but I have to be conscious because of course not everybody loves hugs <laughs> <laughs> wonderful thank you and again just picking up on something that you said there um that I'd love to hear more about is around is around meaningful work um and I, I, I suppose starting off really with in, in your business as recruitment, how uh, are, are you, what, what's the word I'm trying to look for? Is it a case of educating your clients for the people that you're finding for them around the concept of meaningful work? Is it that your candidates are demanding it? What, 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 what's, where are we? Where, where, because mm. it's so important. It is, yeah. And actually, look, it's both, Claire. It's both. Mm. And, um, you know, that, again, this is one of those things that came up, oh, I don't know, maybe five, four or five years ago. You know, we were talking about, okay, you know, again, it was the conversation. What are we doing? What are we here to do? What's our purpose? What's our strategy? You know, where, what, where, where's our value? You know, we were just sort of rethinking through all of those things as part of our strategy. And and I I. I now remember the conversation and there's so many things in there, but I was like, you know what? We, we really do exist to help people find meaningful work. And we also exist to help organisations find people and give them meaningful work. And, yeah. and it started with that. And that sparked something with everybody and went, oh, my gosh, yeah, that is really what it is. You know, this isn't about placing people in a job or just finding the candidates. And there's so much more than that. And what we do, you know, we really do feel that as a recruitment business, we try and do it differently. We try and do it with meaning. You know, we make sure that it's it's with the the right values of you know, we want to place candidates in the right role for them, mm. you know, the, the role that does give them um, meaningful work and whatever meaningful work might mean to them is different for everybody. Exactly. You know? And so it's identifying those things and matching that up with the right organisations and not placing them in a job just because, you know, they think they should go to the next stage of their career. So, you know, for us as a business, I've always said we we need to be more than just place people in a job. You know, mm. we need to be listening. We need to be asking them the right questions so we can really understand, you know, what what they've learned so far in the career and where they're going and what's going to make them really happy rather than just another job. Yeah. So that's where that came from. But of course, you know, soon the realization is that you can't just do that by talking to the candidates. You know, and and I do feel it's our role to inspire the businesses that we the work with and we aspire to working with. So we're still on that journey. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've, we're still on that journey as to all of the different things that we can do and want to do to really support this meaningful work initiative across clients and organisations. So mm-hmm. there's a, an awful lot of exciting things that are coming in the next 12 months, which I won't go into. Um, but, but yeah, you know, um, it's really it's really important stuff and um we do have an app that's on the website so it's free you know i'm not i'm not spruiking our business here you know go in if anybody wants to know a little bit more about themselves personally and their desire for meaningful work there's a a, an app on our website you can do a survey and it gives you a really fantastic report um so yeah that it's from from me it goes back to how do you help people and how do you place people first before profits and how do you you know, what, what What can we do to really support that and make a big difference? Because, you know, we, as a recruitment business, 
the the best things in the world are when people come back to us and go, thanks, you've made the world of difference to me. You know, this has been life changing. And people do regularly, you know, when when you when you pick the phone up to offer somebody a job and they burst into tears and go, oh, my God, I can't believe it. Thank you so much. You know, that's that's what makes our job. Yeah. You know, that's the important stuff. Um, And meaningful work is really our way of articulating that, I suppose. And I'm I'm thinking, so picking up on what you said about meaningful work means different things to different people. So if um, you're working with a client that's, I'm trying to think of a better example than manufacturing and widget making, but you know, that they, they produce products um, and it may be widgets or what have you. And, and it's not, immediately evident of what that that meaningful work is how do you help them see where the meaning is either either whether it's the client that you're working with or the candidate that you're working with how do you bring that meaning to life and and contextualize it for people yeah, and that's a great question because often people think meaningful work oh yeah that must mean go work for a charity you know mm. um and look Beaumont people are really well known for um, the work that we do in the charity sector. Um, It's, I don't know, 40%, 50% of our business maybe at the moment. So it's only half of what we do. It has become a big part of what we do because of the way we do it. But but it's not necessarily about the product or or what the company does. It could be part of it for some people. And, you know, for some people, they do go work for a charity because they're very passionate about let's say animals and wild animals or whatever, you know, so there is, there is meaning in that way. There is meaning for the cause. There's mm-hmm. meaning for the purpose that connects people, you know, but meaning could mean, you know, many other things. So meaning for, let's take me for example, you know, meaningful work for me is, um, is seeing the people within my business thrive, yeah. you know, seeing them be really happy in the role that they do and feeling successful and feeling job satisfaction from the job that they do. So, you know, meaningful work for some people could be that. And that could be, you know, recruitment. You know, there's lots of examples of how that could be meaningful for people, you know, when you change people's lives um, through through the world of work. But meaning can also be, you know, um, I in my leadership group, you know, I've got um, people who do lots of different types of roles and, you know, people who create new innovative products that they take to market um, that help businesses change. You know, that's meaningful work for something Mm. else. And and meaningful for, for somebody else might be having a role where you can bring in good money for your family. Yeah. And pay the bills and, you know, clothe your kids um in in an environment where you can still take your kids to school and pick them up Mm. at the same time that Mm. you know that too is meaningful work you know so that that's what I mean by I think it's different for everybody and it doesn't necessarily have to be on you know the company or the product but but it does have to be on how the company supports or even helps think about how to make that work meaningful or even understands it so that you hire the right people into the right roles in the first place (laughs) Absolutely. And and that sort of brings me on to, we mentioned in the beginning in the the introduction about that very early on in 2020, as an organisation, you implemented um, the four-day work week. And I think that's very much linked 
to meaning and what was important for your people but I'd, I'd love to hear if you can share a bit of the story about I mean what prompted it how did the decision come about and how as an organization did you make that decision and how's it turned out for you <laughs> Uh-huh. Yeah, that's true. We launched the Bordeaux Week early in 2020, um, really just before COVID came and slapped us all on the face. Mm. Uh, but where did it come? Look, the inspiration came from um, at the um, Thriving Workplace Conference that you, you and I were at recently, where yeah. we hugged. I'm quite sure we did. We did. Um, so um, the I, the inspiration came from seeing Andrew Barnes um, from Perpetual, is it Perpetual Mutual, Perpetual? I'll leave it at Perpetual. Mm-hmm. Over in New Zealand, seeing him speak and he'd launched the four-day week very recently Uh, this was about three years ago and um, I just heard his story and saw him speak and I think I stood up and started clapping because I was just like yes I love this so from the very minute that I heard what he was trying to do in his organization I was like yes I love this and I would love to implement this I can so see the benefits of why you would do it and what I could do with it. So um, that's where the inspiration came from. Um, the decision-making process, wow, well, that's it's a hard one, you know. Mm. I mean, I, I probably have two to three conversations every week with organisations that want to pick my brains about the four-day week. Okay. Um, uh, but, you know, and I always say to people, the decision-making process for me, and I learned this from Andrew Barnes, it was one of the things I picked up from hearing him speak was, he went to his team and went, Um, I've got this idea about the four-day week. I have no idea how it's going to work. Um, So perhaps you can tell me how it's going to work. And you know what? That was one of the best pieces of advice. So the decision-making for us was very similar. Genius. You know, go to the team and go, I'd love this to happen. And I, but I don't honestly know how it's going to work. And if it's going to work, let's be honest, you're the ones who are going to have to make it work. Yeah. So you tell us how you think it can work and then we'll give it a trial and if we can make it work we'll keep going with it if we can't we can't you know what you've got to try some of these things I'm I'm good with trying new things I've got quite a high appetite for risk should we Mm -hmm. say Um, not everybody is you know there are many people who don't feel like that and I've certainly got some in my business that's okay you need to have everybody to make things work um but really, we 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 utilise the whole team to go. You tell us how it how it will work. So that's where the decision process came in. Absolutely, making it inclusive, and I'm a firm believer in that. Anyway, that that in itself has taught me many things in my organisation over the years. Um, and when you well, say inclusive, are you talking the whole company sitting down together, or you had a focus group, or? Yes, we well, initially we had the whole company sit down together and we broke them into groups and went, why won't this work? What do we need to consider? Why will it work? What's the benefits, et cetera? Yeah. What's the downside? So we did that as a whole company initially. And then we actually said to people after, okay, who wants to be in a focus group? And so we allowed the focus group okay. from there and then we got teams to support it. So it did take us six months before we implemented because um, I'm I'm the leader that goes, that's a great idea. Should we do it tomorrow? Um <laughs> uh, but luckily, I have other very good leaders in my business that go, there's a few things we might need to think about, Nikki, before we implement that, hey? So we just slow down a little bit. <laughs> um, and so it it did take us six months to implement it. Um, and also we had Christmas in the middle. And Christmas is always a funny time when, you know, lots yeah. of people take 
leave and we didn't feel confident to actually start it when we'd actually got half the people out of the business on leave anyway um so we started it in february of 2020 yeah yeah we did and um again so i'm throwing you so many curveball questions today um uh, any other um, ideas, innovations or strategies that are shareable that, you, that your people have come up with, either to make work more meaningful or to improve, I'd hate the word work-life balance, but their quality of, of life? Is there anything oh, you can share? <laughs> I, I, mean, I think before, uh, the, the year before we did the four-day week, we did the gender neutral parental leave scheme so that was you know I and mean, this is nearly four years ago now wow um, so to 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 pull off a, a fully gender neutral no no primary care or secondary care uh, you know parental you know paid parental leave scheme um was quite a feat um it's something i've been wanting to do for years i am an early adopter i am a an yeah. ideas person as i said so i you know I, for years i've been going I need, we need to do this. I just don't know how, you know, mm. I don't know how this is going to work. And in, in an organisation with, let's be honest, 90% female participation. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. No, th- th- there's a fair argument for saying, you know, much as, you, you know, we are an organisation of placing people first, we do have to be careful not to, um, you know, to create policies that's going to make us bankrupt in the first two years. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, so it, it was... It was something that was something I'd wanted to do for years and it took me a long time to work out how to do it. Um, and that's where, luckily, it came back down to the me being a figures brain and a spreadsheet as well as being quite an inquisitive person to go, okay, mm. how can we make it work? Here we go, finally found a solution to make it work. And yeah. then, look, let's be honest, when you've only got 10% of your workforce being of male gender, it did make it a little bit easier to put it to make it gender neutral. That's <laughs> continuing to change. And we've already had one person, one person in the business take parental leave, um, who was the father. Uh, so that that's wonderful and that makes me happy. Um, yeah. So that look, that's one of the things that we've done. Um yeah yeah great so what is it about your culture that that makes this work because there are so many organizations out there that are either have implemented things like this or are thinking about implementing things like this and it and it's either fallen over or they're coming up against so many barriers what tell us more about what makes it work for you in your culture nikki yeah, it's a good question. And, um, you know, I, I think our culture has evolved a lot over the years and continues to evolve for, for the better, which is great. Um, I do believe in a continually evolving culture. Mm. Um, and, you know, when I think about that, it, the four day week does work for us for the most part. You know, don't get me wrong. Sometimes it can be frustrating when you're trying to get people together, yeah. um, you know, and trying to choose a day that works for everybody, particularly when you've got so many people on, you know, so many flexible arrangements these days and part-time and four-day week and all sorts. So, um, but yeah, on the whole, yes, it does work. Um, the things that we do genuinely well is I think we support each other as human beings well, as, mm-hmm. as, a, as teams, as a whole company. I think our care and love for each other is really very good as, as an organisation. So collaboration, working together, genuine understanding of um, 
the struggle to balance our busy lives is yeah. is at the heart of who we are and what we do. Um, we've definitely have and have to have a culture of personal accountability mm. and responsibility. Um, uh, uh, you know, as leaders in the business, you know, we um, absolutely need to have a culture of trust. Um, and COVID has taught us that massively, which is wonderful. Um, you know, we we have to trust that yeah. our people are doing what they should be doing. And um, so, oh, hold on, someone's just looking at me through the window. Sorry. <laughs> and then my dog goes. I'm not. Um, I'm not going to edit this out. This is the. the I, this is what I love about authentic. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I'm just going to have to wave goodbye to that person. They're looking at me through the window. My dog's <laughs> going off. Um, so, look, trust is a really important thing. Um, and collab- collaboration is, you know, again, as I said, I think is yeah. key because um, you can only make things like the four-day week work if you all work together. Yeah. You, know, you can't have a culture of going, oh, you know, if you're going to have a day off, how's that going to impact me? You know, it's got to be we work together, we pull together here as a team. Uh, this is how we work. Um, and so, yeah, I think I think hopefully that answers that question. And I suppose that's where, in a way, going back to the numbers, that if you're super clear on what the outcomes are, um, and if people are delivering to those outcomes, then how they go about it is, to some degree, up to them. Absolutely. Spot on, Claire. Yes. Um, I, I mean, sort of implementing the four day week was one of the things that actually made us stop and think and evaluate what are we actually measuring people on mm. um, and measuring people on outcomes and measuring people on productivity rather than hours that they're in the office or hours that they're working or online or whatever mm-hmm. is key. Yeah. It is absolutely key to making that work. And that it's something I've, it's been a philosophy of mine for years. I don't actually don't care what hours people work. I care about the outcomes. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, when people talk about implementing the four-day week, I think one of your biggest struggles to implement it is determining what are measurable outcomes. Yeah. Um, and, and what is measurable productivity across all sorts of different roles. You know, that's actually sometimes one of the most challenging things. And at the beginning of launching the four-day week, we were really quite strict about that and we measured it really closely, Um, you know, while we were still sort of learning it all and testing it out. But Mm. as time's gone on, you know, we, to be fair, we do kind of go, look, you're doing a great job. You're doing what you're supposed to be doing. We're really happy with your work. I'm not actually looking too closely at all the measurables that we first had in place because I just know that you're doing a good job. So, yeah. you know, your four-day week continues while you're doing a fab job. Um, so that's that's kind of how it works for us currently. And, uh, you know, we were sharing before we came live on the podcast about uh, various leadership groups that, that you're a part of. Are you seeing a change? Are you seeing a move towards greater levels of trust and psychological safety, um, or is there still a bit of work to be done? Um, I think probably, to be fair, the kind of the companies that I am working with in some of my leadership groups, and they're there genuinely because they're already on that journey, yeah. or they are, we're all that on that journey already. Um, and and you know what, maybe 
I don't necessarily hear it vocalized so much if people are not on that journey, Mm -hmm. maybe because they know so much that that's where I sit, where my values sit. But I do know, yes, I mean, look, certainly from the feedback that we get from candidates, you know, I mean, in the recruitment business, we hear it all from the candidates. Of course we do. You know, they come to us and go, I'm looking for another job because... Mm. And we know where they all work because, of course, that's part of our conversation, (laughs) you know. So, um, yes, we absolutely do hear that. But um, and and I think, you know, let's let's be fair. I actually don't think there's necessarily always any intentional malice in in no from leaders. Um, Really, you know, there isn't, you know, it's more of a. That's kind of just how things always were. And, yeah. you know, I, I could see people working. So that made me think that they were working just because I could see them. And obviously things have changed dramatically since then. Um, but, you know, I think sometimes those things happen just because of, you know, it goes back to what I was saying at the beginning, give people the tools yeah. to do the job. And if you don't give leaders the tools to do the job well, job properly well, sometimes they're not going to get it quite right. And that, you know, that's to be expected, isn't it, really? Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think it goes, I think it goes back to that. Um, I don't think, you know, I have a, a saying that I don't think anybody comes into work to do a bad job. No. I think people come into work, they want to come into work and do a good job. Yeah. People actually want to do good work and know that they're doing good work but maybe sometimes they don't have the tools or the environment critical critical messages thank you oh we're coming to the 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 top of our time i could talk to you all day um so actually on that point i mean and, and and thank you for being so honest and transparent and answering all the questions that weren't on the list um this if this is if this is sort of really speaking to you know the, the somebody listening to to this conversation and saying that, that this is what i want you know i want whether it be a focus on meaningful work or a four day work week or what, whatever element of putting people first placing people first it is um what what could be you know a piece of advice a nugget to besides all the other ones that you've just given, what would you suggest that they focus on to help make that move? Yeah. Okay. I mean, I think if you you really want to change the way that you lead your team or your organisation and there's things that you go, okay, yeah, absolutely. There's you know, I see I'm inspired by those things, then, you know, make a conscious decision to do it, but be clear on your why, mm. why you want to do it. Um, I would say involve your leadership team, um, if you if, if that's relevant, um, involve the other people around you on that journey, because, you know, myself as a founder and CEO, it's not I can't implement these things myself. Yeah, it needs everybody, you know, it needs all of us on the same journey together. Um, it needs all of us understanding um, the the value in, in placing your people first and what that means in everyday terms, mm. in part of your job. So it does involve the whole leadership team and the journey. And um, I mean, think you know, to give you some examples of things that we've done over the years to really help us continue in our journey and continue to to learn. Um, we're, we're renovating at the moment, so there's now a big truck going past. My window, <laughs> so I apologise. <laughs> all good. All good. So, um, yeah, um, 
So what I was saying, some of the things that we've done to learn is, um, look, be part of leadership groups. Um, I run a leadership group up here in the, the Northern Rivers called Leaders for Impact. So, you know, having a group of peers that you can learn from and share with yeah. is always good in any leadership journey, whether it be a place of people first or anything that you're doing. So be part of a leadership group, maybe get a mentor, um, learn and research. There's lots of books there's a book called the four day week there's lots of books about culture and in fact I've had two books that we've been featured in over the past six months actually ah. really um three books are all up now which is very exciting you've got to send um, me the details and I'll put them on the show notes okay I will so um yeah there's some great books and I will be honest I'm actually not a great business book reader mm. um but there are some some great things out there, obviously, as well as podcasts. Um, one of the other great things we did, I think it must be about three or four years ago, was we aspired to be one of the best places to work or great places to work. And, um, you know, it never, never been even a thought or a consideration. And I think it was only one year I was, you know, looking at the top 20 financial review or whatever it was, best places to work. And I was like, wow wouldn't it be great one day to be one of those, you know, never even in my wildest dreams that we could be one of those organisations. Um, mind you, perhaps never in my wildest dreams did I think I'd live on 120 acres of magic <laughs> but here we are. Um, but anyway, we decided about four years ago, I decided that why don't we actually put ourselves forward for one of those? Because, mm-hmm. you know, obviously we're not going to get in the top 20 or even the top 50, but the process in itself we'll learn from you know we'd 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 run a few awards of different things so we'd learn from so so we did apply and we did learn a lot through the application process lots of questions that are asked of the you that you go oh well that's a good question I've never thought about that before um so that as a process in itself is a great way of learning and you know lo and behold that first year that we applied we actually did get to be number nine (laughs) um which was completely unexpected and incredible and I think I was on a high for about six weeks oh my goodness finally came down and then last year we applied again even though the conversation was we'll never get better than number nine (laughs) like that's it let's just not apply again and leave it at that and I'm like no 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 no. we've got to apply because you know we can still learn from this you know it's the process is good there's all those questions etc and we came second in one category and joined first in another Blooming egg. I know, I know, I know. And I still have. <laughs> well, little old us. We did that. Wow. You I know, you'll so never be first. I know. <laughs> so, yeah, I know. Um, so, and that, but that in itself is actually a great learning. Yes. Um, it really yeah. is a great learning. And um, I'm very proud of what we achieved there. Um, and we've still, you know, we've still got heaps to achieve. You know, yeah, we've done some great stuff. We have still got so much to do and so much to learn, Claire. You wouldn't believe. Well, that's what I hear in my brain. <laughs> and that's what I can hear in your voice, Nikki. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Thank you so much. There's there's, there's, there's so many, so many rich elements in this. And, and I loved that finishing off with the best place to work because, as you say, the process that those questions to go really deep down and honest in each of those questions and say, oh, right, to what extent do we or don't we do that? Mm-hmm. Um, and and the leadership groups, I, I couldn't agree more. So finally, um, how can people connect with you? Is it is it okay for me to pop your LinkedIn uh, yeah. details on the show notes? And and, and yeah. your, um, your 
website where people can do the meaningful work questionnaire yep yep you can share all of those so yeah um obviously go on our website um definitely connect with myself on linkedin the beaumont people do lots of wonderful things to support so you know um through the beaumont people linkedin through the website you'll find there's heaps of support and resources and things like that that are just value adds that we're happy to give away um you know so there's stuff there but yeah by all means as i say I, i i speak to people regularly about things like this um so, you know, I'm very happy. I'm very much of a sharer and, you know, I, I love to inspire other people to be the best leaders that, that they can be um, and, you know, support people in their journey just as people have supported me in my journey over the years. And we didn't even get to the amazing partnering that you're doing with charities. I think you're going to have to come back and we'll do podcast number two. <laughs> well, yes, actually, because we may well have a very big announcement on that coming Ooh. up very shortly. Ooh. wonderful okay well we'll keep people in in suspenders as we used to say in the uk (laughs) nikki thank you so much um it's been an absolute pleasure and uh, i'm sure you've probably got to rush off now and do a thousand and one things so go well stay safe and all the very best all right thanks so much claire it's been really lovely chatting to you and uh, i look forward to seeing you soon thanks for listening And we hope that this conversation provided the insights and inspiration that you were looking for. Did you know that Authentic Leadership is currently ranking eighth in the top 25 Australian leadership podcasts? You can help us get to number one by heading over to Apple iTunes and doing three quick things. Subscribing, giving us a positive rating and writing a short review. This is the most effective way for us to get the key messages around 21st century leadership out into the business community. And before you go, if you or your people are needing to boost their resilience muscle and master thriving in change, then please head over to the BrainSmart website and take a look at our Dealing with Change and Building Resilience program. The website is brain-smart.com. Go well, stay safe and keep listening and learning.